Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Hey, everybody. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is a public speaking course called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Robert Kennedy III, and his background is in biology. That's what he majored in in school, but he actually worked as a teacher for several years, and he even did in, in instructional design for a while. But now he's a professional speaker and coach focusing mainly on presentation skills. He also hosts the RK3 show. I'm interested to learn more about his time as a teacher, his transition from instructional design to coaching and speaking, and any future plans. Welcome to Teach the Geek interviews, Robert. Thanks for having me, Neil. I appreciate you, man. Yeah. So first question, where did your interest in biology come from? (laughs) Well, I don't know if I could say that there was an interest, as in like I loved it. It was one of those things where you go to college and you're not 100% sure which way you go, you want to go. And it sounds good. Yeah, I'm going to become a doctor. So let me do pre-med. Let me do biology. And it was, I, it was something that I could do. It was something that, that I was good at. I made good grades in school as a smart kid. And so when I finished college and was looking for where to go next, I knew that I didn't want to do pre-med anymore. So I'd actually in my third year of college, taking on a history major as well. So I graduated with degrees in biology and history. And so what I could do with that, one of the things that I knew to do was, was teach. And both of my parents were teachers. My dad was a, was a minister, a pastor as well, but he was also a college professor at times. And so it was kind of a natural transition for me to get into the classroom after that. Okay. Well, at least when you, you were given the opportunity to go to college and figure it out. When yeah. I was when I finished high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do either. But my father <laughs> my father told me to do engineering, and yeah. so I just I just did what he said to do. Luckily, it it worked out okay, and I I liked actually working in engineering. But who knows what I would have done if if I wasn't told what to do? <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people that have that story. I bet. Yeah, and for the longest while, I wouldn't tell that story because I was kind of embarrassed by it. You know, the fact that. You know, I ended up doing what I did because I was told to do it. I used to make up a yeah. story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you got so you got your degree in biology, and then you ended up working as a teacher. So was that? I guess that wasn't always. Was that? Oh, I guess now nah, you kind of answered that. That wasn't really always the plan. You just thought, you know, you got degrees in biology and and history, and then you're going to work in teaching. What kind of teaching did you do? I was a high school teacher. I taught English for one year, but as a seventh grade teacher, and then I taught physics, physical science on biology for seven years in a high school classroom. And then I was a biology faculty for two years for an online university. Oh, okay. Interesting. And then, you know, I also mentioned in the intro that you got into instructional design. What exactly does that mean? Well, instructional design ultimately is the creation of courses, designing instruction for for youth, for students, for adults even as well. And so what was happening, I while I was teaching or while I was a faculty for the online university, I knew that they were going to be making some changes with the university. And so I started to look into what my next steps were. 
Did I want to stay in the teaching profession? Did I want to stay in educational pursuits? Or did I want to go in another direction? And I, up to this point, I had dabbled in entrepreneurship and I had started two businesses while I was teaching. And I knew I wanted to do something that in that route, but I wasn't sure. So instructional design, once I found that out, I, I had actually done my master's in instructional technology and instructional design was a piece of that. And so once I found out what instructional design was, I essentially learned that I had been designing instruction for the last 10 years anyway as a teacher in classroom. And so instructional design ultimately was doing that for adults in corporations and e-learning or online learning was becoming pretty big at that point. So I began to develop courses for universities, for corporations, online courses and learned how to build them and learn software with which to, to, to build those courses and started also to teach people how to build their courses using specific software. Okay. What type of courses did you actually build for these corporations and schools? Man, it, 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 it ran the gamut. It was a lot of HR courses. So I did sexual harassment courses. I did other compliance courses. I did courses about utilizing closed circuit television safety operations and procedures in organizations, a lot of different scenario based courses. And in, in one company, that I did some work with. I even had the opportunity to build some cybersecurity online courses. Oh, wow. And so do these corporations and schools give you the info and then you just have to you know, put it into a course format? Is that how it works? Yeah, pretty much, pretty oh, much. Okay. Some of it was more clear and complete than others. In some cases, they had courses that maybe some of the, 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 the employees had already taught or trained in a classroom. And so they just wanted me to take their PowerPoints and make it palatable for an online environment. And in some cases they hadn't done anything yet. So I'd have to interview people, figure out what information was most important and determine the order to put it in and how to make that interesting for an online learner. So when it came to the courses that you, that you prepared for these clients, did they, did, did they specify the, the format in which you were to, to put it in or was that more left up to you to decide? Well, they knew that they wanted it online. So in a lot of cases, they didn't know what that meant. Is It's just, hey, we've seen people have courses online. We know that you know how to do that. Can you do that for us? And so as far as specific formats, I was the one that really led them along the road to, okay, you need a learning management system. You need to have it in SCORM format. You need to have it in AICC or whatever the specific online formatting is but they that was left up to me in you know i would say about 50 percent of the cases and a lot of quick cases also organizations already had learning management systems or or platforms that they used to host their online courses and so i was just required to create one in the format that existed already for them okay you had mentioned that you had started two other businesses what were they Ah, so while I was teaching in the high school classroom, my very first business was an online gospel music promotions portal. So the funny story about that and how it started was I was, my wife and I were in the bedroom and we were discussing stuff. We were discussing our budget <laughs> and she was like, dude, you're spending too much money on CDs. And I love music. I had to have the latest CDs. I had to have the latest stuff that was out. And I don't remember how I figured it out, but I figured out that I could call the A&R representatives 
or the PR companies that represented artists for record companies and offered to interview their artists and they would send me free CDs. So uh, I built a website. I pretty much learned HTML in like three days and built a website and then started calling companies and started a business doing that. And then I added an online radio station to it. A friend of mine was already doing an internet radio station and we merged and we just added that. And that brought us up to, that was one of the factors that led to us being maybe the, the number three ranked site in the United States at, at the time in, in our genre. Okay. So that was the first bit. So what was the second one? Oh, oh, the second one. So while I was interviewing artists, in some cases, I got to interview independent artists. And one of the things that I found out was some of them didn't have their own websites. And so ding, 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 business idea. I started a web development company for, for artists, for independent music artists as well. So I called my two brothers. We got together. One of my brothers was already pretty graphically uh, adept, very talented at that. And so we started building websites. The other was good at video and some of those types of things. And all of us were pretty technically proficient. So we started working together and started a web development company. Oh, okay. That's, that's just pretty cool that you had yeah. that, that idea to, to start these businesses while you were still working. You didn't yeah. take the tact of some people, like some people I hear when it comes to entrepreneurship, they say, if you don't go all in on it, then you're not really all that serious about it. So you have to stop what you're doing and, right. and, and go full force with that entrepreneurship goal all, well, all out. I mean, it, it, that works for some people. I don't want to say that that is a, a, a 100% uh, concrete story or blueprint that everybody has to follow. Uh, the thing for me was I did not know what business I wanted to start. I, it wasn't my intention to start a business. Some people might have a business idea and it's burning them. And it's like, listen, this is the thing that I must do. And so in some of those cases, yeah, it might be to the, 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 the best plan to do what Cortez did and say, burn the ships. So you can't go back, you know? It, so it, there, that works for some people. In my case, I, I didn't know, it wasn't my intention to start a business necessarily. I've always had entrepreneurial leanings. I've always been interested in it, but I didn't know what it meant and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So while having doing those or being able to experiment while having a job was really key for me because it allowed me to form a foundation so that now I can have my own business. My third business was my first business that I did 100%. So it, 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 it created a foundation for me to do it that way. You know, when I think about that, burn the ships, I, that's easy to do if you're by yourself and no one else is dependent on you. So, you know, if things aren't going so good in that entrepreneurial venture, you can always cut back on things. But if you got, you know, a wife, you got kids, you got responsibilities, it might be a little more difficult to burn them ships. Yeah. And I've had that experience too. I mean, we moved from Massachusetts to Maryland, the online university that I mentioned initially, I was, when we moved here for a lot of different reasons, 10 days after we came, I got let go from that online. Three kids under the age of five, you know, my wife had, hold on one moment here. Uh, my wife, my wife had a job. But our plan was to come with both of our salaries, <laughs> right? And so now, 10 days after that, I get let go and I'm putting out resumes and I'm not getting any responses. I'm not getting any interviews. Nothing's happening. And so I've got to figure it out. So 
that's when I started to get instructional design, e-learning contracts and started to build some different things from then. So yeah, I've, I, I've, I was pushed. I didn't, I didn't go in perfectly. I, I got pushed off the cliff. <laughs> well, obviously, you know, you, you started off as a teacher, you did in just instructional design for some time, but then eventually you moved into, you know, speaking and coaching. What was the motivation to do that? It was just kind of a, a natural flow, man. I don't know if there was something that said, okay, yep, I want to go into speaking and, and, and pre or public speaking coaching. It was, I was, I was doing the, I was building courses for, for corporations. And then after a while they started to say, Hey, instead of building it for us, can you teach us how to do it ourselves? And so I started to train. So now I'm kind of back in classroom mode, right? So I've, I, I now I'm able to rely on my prior classroom training. And as I'm doing that, people, I kept hearing, Hey, you're a really good trainer. You're a really good presenter. You're really good at this. You know, have you considered speaking? And funny thing was, while before I started teaching, I, you know, long story short, I was doing mental health counseling and I kept driving by this radio station. And one day I went into the radio station, had a long conversation with the owner and he put me on as, as an intern for the news anchor position. I did that for about eight months and I was offered the news anchor position when the, when the news anchor left. And because I was freaked out about it, I didn't take it, but I've always had a love for radio. I've always had for a love for communication. When I was doing e-learning, online learning, I did a lot of voiceover work. And so all of that combined led to people noticing certain things and me saying, Hey, maybe I should explore this public speaking thing more. So I joined Toastmasters at the end of 2014 and explored that a bit. And so as I was moving along in the training world, just kind of the, just decided to build up what I was doing as a speaker and learned a little bit more about what public speaking would take. Joined the National Speakers Association in 2017. And that's been my story. Interesting. I mentioned in the intro that you also have a podcast or the show, the RK3 show. What do you yeah. hope people get from listening to your program? The biggest thing is that your story deserves a stage. Everybody's got a story to tell and a lot of us shy away from telling our stories. And it really is something that helps other people. It's not just for us to live it. It's for other people to hear it so that they can learn from it as well. And then we, we use that story to help, uh, we, we use that story, those stories to help others fulfill their own purpose as, as well. So I want to help people tell their stories and learn how to get paid for them, for their stories as well. Wonderful. So when it comes to public speaking, have, is that something you've always been good at? And if not, what have you done to get better at it? <laughs> so I, you know, I, I believe that there's some talent there and maybe some of it is inherited. My dad's a, my dad's a minister. So I've always been around public speakers. And so there is uh, on some level as a kid, I was, I was shy as a kid. So I wasn't one that was always up front and I wasn't a ham. I wasn't always in school plays and doing all of those types of things. I was pretty reserved as a kid. And so but I've always heard, hey, um, you're a leader. Hey, you're, you're, you're a speaker in some ways. When I did speak, people said things about it. Even when I watched myself on back in the day on VHS for things that were recorded, I was like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. That's horrible. That's terrible. And, but I kept hearing 
you have a talent. You have a talent. So joining Toastmasters was my first intentional step in, in, in growing that talent or enhancing it. And once I did that and started to figure out, hey, you know, you can actually do some stuff with this. Then I started to speak more. And then as I did that, I had some people say, hey, how do you do that? Can you teach me how to do that? And as I started to do that more, then I said, hey, let me let me throw this at some organizations. And I started to teach, do workshops, full day workshops for organizations on speaking presentation skills. And that led to some individual coaching as well. Okay. Do you have a process when it comes to preparing your presentations? And if so, what is it? <laughs> That's a big question, man. So it, it, it depends on a couple of things. It, it depends on how long the speech is, and it depends on the audience, who I'm speaking to. You know, is it a professional? Is it a more corporate audience? Is it kids? Is it youth? Is it just kind of a, you know, a, a more colloquial or a local casual crowd? I, I will determine how I should speak. So, you know, you've heard the term code switching, right? So if I'm with a professional audience, you know, I might speak a little bit more formally, but if I'm speaking to youth or if I'm speaking to kids, my language changes. I'm going to say something's lit. I'm going to say something's on fire. I'm going to say that's hot. I'm going to say that's fresh. I'm going to say that's dope. I'm going to say like this. I'm going to use certain language that is, that's a little bit different. But there is a four-step process that I teach my my clients when we are dealing with pre preparing or crafting a speech and one of the biggest things is stories sell right <laughs> stories sell and so i i use something called the ease framework where i help them to figure out what energy they need uh, i figure I help them figure out how to ask a question at the beginning of a speech how to tell a story and then how to explain or how to make to decide what point they need to make and utilize a story as the underpinning for that. So you tell a story and you make a point. It's kind of a point. It kind of goes back even to like Aesop's fables, where you you had this great story and then there was a moral. There was a point to the story. And those though using those processes or using a story as the basis of all of that really helps people to remember stuff even more. Uh, there is uh, the, there's a there's a psycho analyst uh, by the name of Jerome Bruner wrote a book called Cognitive Minds. And he says that people are 22 times more likely to remember a fact if it's wrapped in a story. And so even in a business setting, you can utilize stories to help people remember information even better. I fully agree with you, Robert. And I know as an engineer in the medical device industry, when I used to have to give presentations, that was definitely not something that I took into account. And I noticed yeah. a lot of the other engineers didn't take into account either. They're telling stories. I mean, we're, we're engineers. We're, we're here about data and facts and yep. talk about the, you know, the charts and the tables, you know, yep. all that stuff. But you're, you're absolutely right. If you don't wrap things in a story, people likely aren't going to listen and they're certainly not going to retain it if you're not listening. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of times I, I've come across engineers and people who are very much analytical and logic and reason based. Right. And a lot of times when we hear the word story, they're like, ah, they try to run away because they figure I'm talking about once upon a time fairy tale land. And that's really not what a story is. A story really is something that that has an emotional tie that follows a framework. And stories pretty much are setting character conflict resolution. 
You know, you've got the hero's journey. You've got the villain and, and the protagonist and the antagonist. So what are those things and how can you find those things even in a business setting and, and allow your audience to know why this is important to them and really tap into their emotions before you then, and then figure out what, what matters to them and what the conflict is that they're facing, what challenges they're facing before then you bring in your product and your content. Yeah. I mean, a lot of us engineers, we're, we're very much, I guess, more of reason and, and, and logically based. And yeah. we don't really think of all, all too much about the emotional aspect of just communication, but especially yeah. when we're talking to the, the non-technical people and even technical people, really, if we're being honest, the emotional aspect is way more important than we give it credit for. Yeah. And, 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 we, and that's how we are as humans. Humans, that, that's just how we live and that's how we communicate. Whether we're technical or not, when you're an engineer, you go home for Thanksgiving dinner, you don't get rid of all of your stories and you don't start saying, hey, this is the data. Let's talk about this. Let's only talk about what, what uh, uh, circuit boards or whatever. You don't do that. You, you talk in stories. You're talking stories. You're, you're on Instagram. You're on Snapchat. You're on TikTok. We follow people's lives because of the stories that they're telling there. So it's really how we communicate naturally. But for some reason, when we are in a professional setting, we're like, you know what? Oh, the data, the, the, the charts, the bar graphs. That's what we need to do. And there are ways to wrap all of that into story form as well. And so that, those are some of the things that I teach organizations. Yeah, I mean, engineers are humans. Imagine that. Yep. <laughs> yep. So yep. when it when it comes to presentations, do you ever get nervous? And if so, how do you deal with your nerves? All the time. All the time. As a matter of fact, I think if I was not nervous, then I I would be worried because you know, for me, I'm I'm a I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer, and I would I would think that I'm depending on my own power or my own skill, and I'm overconfident if I wasn't nervous. As a matter of fact, I, one of the things that I share with my public speaking or presentation clients is like, listen, our job is not to get rid of the butterflies. Our job is to get them to fly in formation. So it's really about utilizing that energy, reframing it into something else and not trying to kill it because it is, it's, it's there for a reason. It's like warming up. You know, when athletes get ready to take the field, they start to feel certain things and their body is warming them up for performance and they don't try to squelch it. They, they just start to try to get hype over it. They try to listen to music. They do, they do things, they do visualization to really take that, that those, those hormones that are flowing, the endorphins that are starting to flow and really focus them in the direction so that they have peak, for, peak performance. You know, I, I fully agree with you that getting rid of the nerves should definitely not be the, 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 what we're trying to achieve. And when I think about it, nerves are normal and they're normal because if you weren't nervous, that likely means you don't care about what you're talking about. Right. Right. And if we're, I mean, as a, as a science person, if we look at it, the nervousness, the chemical, the chemicals in your body that are reduced that are produced when you say you feel nervousness are the same chemicals that are produced when you feel excitement right and so from a biological physiological perspective they're they're not any different we've just termed them very differently and so if i begin mentally to look at hey this is i'm, I'm actually excited right now i'm not scared i'm actually excited 
and I reframe that, then I just need to envision or visualize standing ovations. I visualize what the end should look like, look like and take that energy that I'm feeling and point it towards that. You know, I'm a big fan of visualization as well, Robert, when it comes to public speaking. If you're yeah. telling yourself that you're a poor public speaker, you will be one. Absolutely. <laughs> and if you think, but if you're, if you're actually thinking in your head, uh, this is going to go well and you visualize it going well, people laugh when they're supposed to laugh and you get the, yeah. the people clapping when they're supposed to clap. And it, it, it can really happen. <laughs> uh, it does. I'm, yeah. Yeah. It I'm, does. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that for sure. So when it comes to getting better at public speaking, I'm a big, I'm a firm believer in, in focusing on one thing first and then moving on to other things. You don't want to try to get better at just a whole bunch of things at the same time. So if, if for the people that are listening, what would you suggest should be the first thing that they do in becoming a more effective public speaker? Well, if you're talking about the, the structure of a speech and you're, you're talking about how to become better at connecting or communicating with people, one of the things is that people pay attention. You really connect with people in the first 10 seconds of your speech. So really focusing on how to create and craft an opening that connects with people. I see far too many public speakers babble and they do crazy stuff for the first minute, two minutes, and you lose your audience. Hey, good morning. My name is Robert Kennedy. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here with you today. Oh my gosh. Boring. Boring. What can I do <laughs> to create a connection with my audience? And one of the things that I suggest people do, I've got this great article that I'd, I'd be glad to share with, with your listeners called 21 Questions You Can Ask are a really great way to engage an audience and help them to create and craft a video in their own minds right at the beginning of your speech. So if I came up and I said to you, I'd like to talk to you today about world peace. Okay, cool. What if I said to you, imagine what it would be like if you had you 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 never saw any fights imagine what it would be like if you never saw anybody in in conflict those are two very different things i'm commanding you or asking you to do something i'm telling you to imagine and when when the human's natural response to using things like imagine or when questions are asked we naturally move to answer them whether we say them out of, our, out of our mouths or not, we naturally move to answer them. I can't think of any time somebody's asked a question that I haven't been naturally moved to answer it in some way. I might squeeze the response, but my first response is to answer it. So utilizing that as a tactic or a technique at the beginning of your speeches is a, is a way to engage mentally with, with your audience right from the beginning. And then the biggest thing is practice. Practice. You can't just kind of think about it one time and, and never do it. Practice makes permanence. A lot of people say practice makes perfect, but what if you practice in the wrong thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Right. Yeah, there's definitely no such thing as, as perfect. I, I, always right. think pro I always think practice makes progress. You're just going to get yes. better at it the more you do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah, just really figuring out your energy and what you need to do to connect with your audience early on is, are some of the best things that a public speaker can do to improve. Yeah, this has been, this has been great information, Robert. Is there anything else that you'd like to add about things that you're working on? Man, I'm working on things all the time. We are releasing some courses soon. We've got a course called Zero to Paid Speaker that we've 
that we've, we launched last year. In the next couple of months, we're also going to be launching a, a signature story online course. And of course, we've got what I call the Speak Right Now community on Facebook. I do a lot of tips, tricks, tutorials there. We have a lot of guest experts conversations about how to tell your story, either through speaking or writing, because I just want you to get your story out there. The world is waiting for your story, right? Because your story ain't about you. It's about somebody else. Um, your story may involve you, but it's not for you. <laughs> I like to say it that way. All right. So yeah, so those are the things I'm working on. Hop over to my speaker site, robertkennedy3.com. If you want to get connected on social media, I'm Robert Kennedy 3 everywhere instagram facebook linkedin twitter all of that i'm not on tiktok yet but <laughs> but, but yeah that that's that's where i am yeah you're not on tiktok you're not 15. well <laughs> I, I i know some grown-ups on tiktok so oh, really? yeah. okay yeah. <laughs> wonderful well this has been a, this has been definitely a, a, a great interview thank you for taking time everybody uh my name is neil thompson i'm the founder of teach the geek it's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is a public speaking course called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, please take care. Thanks, Robert. Awesome. Thanks, Neil.